Public Enemies Minister of Information, Professor Griff, celebrates the 30-year anniversary of the best hip-hop album ever. Thursday, June 28, 2018, at the Jam Handy. Witness a special behind-the-music unsung tribute to Public Enemies, It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back album. Hip-hop performances from Mahogany Jones, Kari Way Frazier, and more will honor the landmark album. The Black History 101 Mobile Museum and Khalid El Hakim will be present with special artifacts, memorabilia, and music from Public Enemy. Tickets are $20 and limited. Purchase your tickets today online at www.detroitisdifferent.com. This event is produced and supported by Detroit is Different, Black History 101 Mobile Museum, Men of Courage, and Lauren Hood. Tune in weekly to the Piper Carter podcast with Piper Carter for a conscious take on music, arts, politics, and fashion. The founder of We Found Hip Hop has a say on what you should know about culture with a balanced conscience. Subscribe on Apple iTunes or Google Play to the Piper Carter podcast to hear the stories and thoughts of Piper Carter. Follow Piper Carter on Instagram at Piper Carter. All right, we are back in full effect, and I'm here with my sister in arms, the Tupac of activism, as I said earlier. Hilarious. Really? (laughs) (laughs) I'll take it. (laughs) Yes. The ever-loving, ever-community, ever funny as far as her humor is always going always flowing and my homie in arms piper carter how you feeling piper i'm good thanks for that i love that you said the tupac of activism you are the tupac of activism i do because i be taking shots <laughs> Piper about to drop a mixtape i am uh, uh, activism beef <laughs> i am i'm like y'all don't know about these activists in these streets what beat would you use piper Oh, my God. Well, you know what? I would use about four or five different beats, <laughs> and then I would just change it up. I would change it. I would let it keep flowing. It would be like a 45-minute mixtape. <laughs> but it would be one song. I know. One song about one song how people are not with a bunch of different real, beats. <laughs> not helping the community. And how, I don't even know what it is. People get static at how real you keep it. Well, accountability. You know, my grandma, she used to beat me. <laughs> <laughs> My grandma used to whoop my butt. I used to get a whooping every day, so I know how I know very much about accountability. Grandma, what that feels like. (laughs) Grandma Piper. Yeah. So uh, today's episode, we got Brittany back. Yay! She joined the team. Yay! I'm so happy. I love Brittany. (laughs) Full effect. Holding pipe down. Yay! Holding Piper down. Speak a little bit about joining the team. Well, as Piper was saying, I'm the token quote-unquote millennial (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna say i don't do labels but um, it's all positive because um i'm here to learn and i'm here to uh increase positive vibes and that's about it and to teach and to teach yeah Yeah. we learn that indirectly i'll teach indirectly yeah yeah subliminal (laughs) you see how already the energy is and thank you kari thank you the mastermind always yes he's our master Thank you, thank you. I am, I, I'm more, I'm more of a like. If I had a, I wouldn't have been a grandmaster with the DJ, and I would have been uh, a mix, a mixer. Like Yoda. 
mix. Yeah. Not, not grand. Mix master. Oh, mix master. I got you. I got you. Uh, mix master. Let's see. Or no, yeah. no. I'd have been whatever Jam Master J is. I think he's the greatest DJ ever. Rest he's in so peace, awesome. Jay. Rest in peace. Oh, R. Jam Master J. We love you. Oh, and, my goodness. And I don't know how we're going to flip from the great Jam Master J into this new idea that is an old concept that has always really existed uh, from the visions and the theories of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. R.I.P. Many other. Yeah. Yeah. I'm rest in peace, Dr. King. Mm-hmm. Um, Great many, radical leader. Yes. Yeah. And he really started getting radical, as people know. Yeah. When he started where you have. What's happening today? Right. Poor People's Campaign. Right. Shouts out to the Poor People's Campaign. And we're talking Poor People's Campaign today. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I'm so excited because um, uh, before I introduce my guest, I got to tell you all a quick story. Okay. It's going to involve some curse words. Is it going to uh, be uh, you met Dr. Martin Luther King walking down the street? And I wish. Like, that ain't no Martin Luther <laughs> King. Well, no, no. So um, <laughs> when, we had the, when we had the space, when we had the gallery, we had um, our youth and we had our youth program. And um, well, I was I was you know just kicking it with the youth one day, and um, I don't I don't remember we were just talking, and it was around the time that that kind of last um, King documentary came out when they had the um, Super Eight footage of when he got shot the first time, and they showed all that like CIA footage that was like really really close up of them running and stuff like that, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I remember we had a. Uh, we were just kicking it. We had like lunch after youth program. We were just talking. And um, I think it was around, it had to be like October. Like maybe it was like October. And I told the youth, I said, yeah, I want you guys to um, start thinking because I would like to do a, um, a MLK Day um, event with you guys. And I want you guys to lead it. And they were like, fuck that nigga. And I was like, and I'm always trying to like listen to the youth. So I'm trying to be open minded, like, hmm, okay, uh, do tell, you know, like, what does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's funny. I actually remember the, this meeting a little bit before you met with them. Yeah. But continue. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I just remember asking them like, yeah, like, uh, what do you mean? And they were like, that nigga was a punk ass bitch. He wasn't shit. Like he, 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 he didn't do shit and he taught people to be weak and this and that. And I was like, no, like, that's not what happened. (laughs) Like that's, that's not what happened. Do you know he was a radical? Um, do you know that he led a nonviolent movement as a strategy to mobilize lots of people, but he had security that had guns and things like that to the point where, you know, Baynard Reston was like, yo, you need to, for your image, get rid of this guns and security and he was like hell no (laughs) you know and um they were like y'all we don't know nothing about that so i remember um i showed them the documentary and after they saw for themselves that cia footage um of like the people running and then dudes pulling guns out and all that they was like that nigga thorough that nigga (laughs) that nigga bought it and i was like yeah you know Hilarious. what I mean? <laughs> 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 and they saw him like chain smoking. You know what I mean? And we, I mean, these are these people of an older generation or a little more bourgeois than myself would say that those are negative things. However, I feel that um, we have to meet folks where they are. Mm-hmm. And in the hood, you know, people respect an ass whooping. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's 
That's a badge of honor. I think ass you know what I'm saying? Has been respected historically <laughs> over time. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, oh, ass whoopings have been respected over time. By ass all. whooping and getting capped. You know, I hate to. I'm not glorifying it. I'm just saying that, you know, helping young people to see um, more than just the humanity, but yeah, the humanity of um, of the situations that you know people were actually going through. Because what's presented to us is this romanticized idea of quote unquote the movement and then the things that they were saying to me was that because back in the day everybody got along and back in the day it was this was that and I was like bro it's this is back in the day like when you're my age this is going to be your back in the day and then you're going to be sitting talking to some young people and they're going to be telling you how great things were when you were a kid and you're telling me how sucky shit is and it was the same thing and also it was important for them to see that the so-called movement was a youth-led movement and that these were 12 and 13 and 14 and 15 and 16, 17, 18 year olds that were standing up, strategizing, organizing, mobilizing, getting arrested, leading, um, and, 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 and being decision makers and that whatever happened, you know, COINTELPRO and all these things to destroy that energy that, you know, lack of education, removing uh, mm-hmm. political science and everything from schools that has made these next generations, let's say from the 70s on up, um, disconnected from politics, um, disconnected from understanding the world, geography, um, power, and, and any of these structures around anything or even understanding how government works or policy or any of that, just to the point now where we have young people who can't even articulate a legislative branch or even know that that exists or yeah, in yeah. their involvement or do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, and how that's by design. Mm-hmm. So to take away your power and your voice and your ability to impact policy. And so I think that, I mean, those are like really large concepts and I'm not, I'm, I shared a lot of that stuff with the young people, but I think what the young people taught me is how removed I was in my thinking because here I was, in this thinking, like I'm doing community activism. And even though I had brought my youth to a whole bunch of powerful things, they were sitting there telling me like they didn't even like or respect Martin Luther King because they didn't, you know, understand his history of who he was. You couldn't relate to him. And you uh, couldn't relate. And a lot of the history of Dr. King that has been uh, told through prisms of grander media. Uh, the idea of the I have a dream speech uh, docile and the the concept of it and the mm-hmm. science even of the nonviolent movement uh, that was taken and enacting some of the things that was put in place by Gandhi. But some of those things that have been put in place by a lot of structures from Native Americans for generations, it was a yeah. strategy because right. when the strategy was fighting back, what consistently happened was it was like, look at these armed crazy young Negroes attacking Mm -hmm. white people so it was a strategy in the fight but to to mobilize more people to get more people to mm -hmm. come to the table and so much of what Dr. King did when we think about the the acts that I believe led up to his murder uh, deal directly with what's going to happen when we talk a lot about the poor people's campaign and his yeah. stance against the Vietnam War right so those two stances standing against the economic inequities right. of our nation right. and that the power structure structures that existed were 
put in place to uh, have, especially urban centers, um, living in conditions that are yeah. inhumane for the American standard that right. could be provided to people. Right. Uh, when we think about even his murder taking place in Tennessee when he was standing with so many of the predominantly black women uh, right. that were nurses that were looking for fair and equitable uh, work conditions. Right. Uh, these are these are the acts that are outside of the scope that is generally spoke about when we see the Martin Luther King McDonald's commercial during the NBA game that's played during Martin Luther King Day in January. Yeah, yeah. This isn't the Martin Luther King you hear about. Right. The Poor People's Campaign Martin Luther King that sees the bridge and the gap between so much of the organization that right. could happen. Right. And even the relationship between Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. Martin right. Luther King and the Nation of Islam. Martin right. Luther King and many of the gangs in Chicago. Like right. All of this is not shared and talked about and spoke mm -hmm. of when you pick up most of the books that you can read right. uh, that want to present one image of Dr. King. Yeah. He was just smiling and dancing yeah. and everyone was holding hands and we're friends and he had this dream. And so, yeah, and I get it. And um, yeah, I mean, so I just, just to let people know, we did actually do a Martin Luther King <laughs> event. Mm -hmm. It took us from that time in October, we actually spent the time, to, to teach them the real Dr. King. We taught them about the Poor People's Campaign. We taught them about his true philosophies. We taught them that young people are leaders and led that movement. We taught them their power. And then we challenged them to then think about um, what that could look like now and how they could, you know, enact that. And what they did was um, really phenomenal. And they And you ended up being a part of that yeah. training as well yeah and um helping them you know we we did a whole thing where um we were we spent time teaching them about police terrorism i prefer yeah. that term to police brutality because they're enacting terror so we taught them about police terrorism stop and frisk know your rights and then they learned all of that stuff and then you got with them and work with them on writing these rhymes about these things and they turned that into a song we yeah. took the jay dilla <laughs> we, yeah. we actually did it for martin for mlk day uh -huh. where they actually had to learn his history and everything and we utilized that as well for the dilla youth day but for the mlk day they and in dilla youth day which was in february right after january the song that they created we used the jay dilla fuck the police mm -hmm. song and we couldn't have the kids say fuck the police. We no. did not do that. We, we, we hooked up. <laughs> we didn't do that. The F word. We didn't do that. We changed it to watch the police. <laughs> um, <laughs> we changed it to watch the police. They used the beat, but what we did is hook them up with Urban Strings Youth Orchestra. And Urban Strings Youth Orchestra learned the Jay Dilla beat and played it, and the youth performed that live with, with them for both MLK Day Sounds and for. Uh, yeah, shout out to Cecilia. And they did that for both MLK Day and for Dilla Youth Day. And that's one of our songs that we continue to use. Um, and so, yeah, like um, I'm saying that to say that that's one of the things that uh, is kind of going on now with currently with the Poor People's Campaign, a lot of the work they're doing. So I want to bring these people in the room. Oh, yeah. We've just been talking, oh, talking, yeah. talking, talking, talking. So um, I'm just going to get straight to it. Um, we got Yesenia, we got Carlos. These are two awesome people. They've been here um, in Detroit working and um, diligently, let me just say that, consistently, persistently, um, and just putting in a lot of sweat equity 
in the community. Um, I've seen it myself up close with my own eyes. Uh, so it's not something I heard about. And um, I wanted them to come and speak about the work that they've been doing because it's really, really, really important and poignant and powerful. And um, so I want to bring them in the room first. We, I want you guys to hear about who they are first, and then we'll get to um, the work that they're doing. So uh, is it okay if we start with, with you, Yesenia? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us, like, about yourself and, you know, just tell us everything about yourself. Oh, that's a lot. Well, so, what you can get into about five minutes. Yeah, so my name is Yesenia, and I'm originally from New York. Whoop, whoop. Um, yeah, so uh, we moved here about two years ago. I'm an artist, I'm an educator, I'm a cultural organizer. Um, I'm very passionate about um, a lot of issues, which is why I'm on the Poor People's Campaign, including gender justice, environmental issues, race issues, police issues, a, a lot of things. Um, but I've been currently focusing mostly on cultural work. Mm -hmm. um, Can I you just say what that is real quick? Um, cultural work. For me, it's really, when you're doing cultural work in the movement, it's understanding the movement and being able to shape the energy of the space and being and allowing that to, um, grabbing that positive energy and, and lifting it up more, right? So continuing, making sure that when you're in a movement that the spirit stays high, making sure that um, people's minds are focused, making sure people are disciplined, but also making sure there's joy, that there's mm -hmm. joy in a way that's relevant for the people that are in that space. Shouts out to joy. Yes, shout out to Joy. Shout out to Joy. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, we in Detroit. It could be Joy Road. Right, that could be, be, Joy be Road. interpreted <laughs> a lot of ways. Yeah. Exit yeah. So um so yeah, um we moved here two years ago and we've been doing organizing in New York for a couple years already. Like where? where? Um at City College of New York. That's shout out to City College. Yeah, shout out to City College, CCNY. And we've been doing um uh, anti militarization work, mm -hmm. we've been doing uh uh, gender justice work. We've been doing um, protests for uh, the tuition hikes that are still going and have been happening. And um, they had also taken our community and, and student center. Mm. You know, one day. When did they do that? October twenty third, twenty thirteen. I want to say or twenty fourteen. Mm. Um, it had been a hub of activism yeah. in the community for like that's what over it's known two for. Decades. Yeah. yeah, the Morales Court. Uh, the Asada like Shakur, the Morales Good General yeah. Morales Center. Yeah, no, but we just said mm -hmm. Morales Shakur Community Center for sure. Right, That's right, what right. we call it, the Morales Shakur yeah. Center. Um, so, yeah, we, we had been organizing there for a long time. We started doing protests against General Petraeus and militarization, and we went home one day, went to sleep, woke up, and we came back to school, and it had been painted white. Everything had been removed from the room. Um, and so we shut down the entire school and started protesting to get our center back, which we were have not been able to do. Um, so that was one of the one of my major um, introductions into movement work was the taking of that center and to really being like, all right, we need to you know figure out how we can organize not just students but outside the community because it was a it was like a bridge between the college. And it, the, it it and was the, yeah. That was a really important space. It was very extremely, and there was a huge part of my my process of understanding how power dynamics work. My introduction to politics went came through that center. I mean, um, I mean my a lot of my you know, experiences and relationships were through City College, so, yeah. Yeah, it has a very special place in my heart. Yeah. Um, so we got into, I got into organizing through that kind of work. Um, and then, you know, fast forward to moving to Detroit, we were thinking, yeah, you know, we'll just, like, work on the house and, like, kind of figure out how, what things are popping Wait, wait, what made you come here? 
that question is a loaded one. (laughs) A lot of different things, you Mm -hmm. know, a lot of different things. Um, One of them was, you know, in thinking about our future, Mm -hmm. you're like, okay, what's going to make sense? How do we continue to do this, this work, this justice work, this, you know, building power work and also be able to make ends meet and survive? And in Mm -hmm. New York City... Well, yeah, if, that's right. Know, everybody knows it's really expensive and mm-hmm. it's not getting any cheaper. And so mm-hmm. we were like, okay, where can you know we go, where we know that we can make ends meet, and maybe own a house that's to be young people of color with no debt and continue the work that we're doing, mm-hmm. um, and also has a history of amazing radical revolutionary yeah. work. Yeah, yes, ma'am. And so we were like, oh shit. Detroit, and it oh, was really <laughs> Carlos that put that into my mind, and I had never in a million. And we're years, gonna bring him in in a minute. Yeah, I had in a million years. I'd never thought I was gonna live in Detroit. I didn't mm. think I was gonna be in New York because it's just ridiculous how you had to pay like work two jobs and all this yeah, shit. Yeah, but yeah. I was like, mm-hmm. okay, you know. And so we came here, and we we're like, all right, let's you know figure out the lay of the land. Let's talk to organizations and people. Mm-hmm. We'll know, we'll we'll lay low for two years and just kind of get to know folks. We're not trying to mm-hmm. just come in and be like, oh hey, you know. Yeah. Um, but it didn't work out like that because no. here we are hasn't just been two years and we've been doing this for a year now yeah almost a year um so yeah now we're here and we're we're ready and willing to continue the fight well we welcome you we Wait, appreciate you I, I do always have this question what did your family say when you said i'm moving to detroit <laughs> um you know why <laughs> <laughs> what, what, part, what part of new york are you guys from um, so I'm from Queens on Long Island. Okay, cool. So I was born in Queens and moved to Long Island, then moved to Harlem for seven years for college, and then I moved here. So. Okay. So so when you said why, was it a why like why in the hell would you move there, or was it a why like why are you moving there? Oh, like why would you move there? Like why? <laughs> did you, move? you know, and it, it our family had a tough time kind of trying to figure out why, so we yeah. kind of. You know, had to explain. They, we've always been kind of the odd ones out of our family. I yeah, think yeah, yeah. so. I don't think it was too much of a surprise for them, but those questions did come. And you know, I kind of was like, well, there's an opportunity here, mm-hmm. and here in New York, I'm not trying to get into a 30-year mortgage. I'm not right. trying to work a full a full-time job and then an, maybe another job and then also organize yeah. like. We had a lot of friends who were just run down and burnt out from trying to do it all. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was like, if I'm doing this for the long run, I need to think about longevity. Yeah. Um, Smart. So so that was what one of the things that was in my mind. Like, how do we continue this work for the long run, but also make sure we're taking care of ourselves? Yeah. Um, Because so many times as organizers and activists, we just don't stop. Right. And we just... Not only are trying to organize people, but we're also going to make a living because we're still in the system. Mm -hmm. So um, (laughs) we really had to push for that thought of, like, how do we continue on the long haul? Not just, you know, my my family was like, oh, yeah, I used to, you know, go to protests in college. It was a phase, you know. Right, right, right. It'll be fine. I'm like, well, it's been like eight years and um, a phase hasn't hasn't passed. So I don't think this is just a once. This is who you are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so and then, Lowe's, tell us about you. Hey, what's up, man? Piper, thank you for having us here. Oh, my God. I've known <laughs> you for, what, about a year now? Has it only been a year? I think so. The, when I met you, I we kind of did the hip-hop for the people. Oh, right, right, right. That for was a hurricane. year ago for the yeah. hurricane. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I just want to say thank you for having us on the show. Um, you know, like, there's been, like, a, a blackout of media for the yeah. Poor People's Campaign here in Michigan. Really? So we mm-hmm. definitely need the grassroots. 
Mm-hmm. What's wrong with y'all? What's wrong with <laughs> media? Nah, we're, we're this is a huge thing. Right. Tell about the lazy, no. lazy oh, ass man. media coverage. We've been mm-hmm. getting. Media has been lazy. They have not been doing their job. They 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 ran well, an article well, wait, on us. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah, what's wait. up? In the world of corporate media, as this is not corporate media, <coughs> when you combine the word poor with anything, media <laughs> generally is like, right. hell no. Because media is built on selling advertisement. That's true. Exactly. And you assume you combine the word poor. Yeah. That ain't advertising to people. Yeah, maybe you should change our campaign name to the rich people's campaign. Oh yeah, you get it. Yeah, <laughs> maybe it was, we'll be on Fox <laughs> News. It's called the Golf CNN. Network. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, my name is Carlos. I am from New York originally. Woo-hoo. I was raised in Spanish Harlem, El Barrio. Shout out hey, to my homies out there. Hey, that's what's yeah. up. You may I, know my cousin Carlos in Spanish yeah. Harlem. <laughs> All right. I can't understand what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <New York. laughs> So like Jess said, yeah, we've been living here for the past two years and sort of like the the history of radical organizing and activism and just sort of like the history of resistance in Detroit is definitely one of the major um, factors that pulled us here. This is the city of the Black Panthers. This is the city of Detroit Red. This is the city of General Baker, Maureen Taylor, Miriam Kramer. uh, So many greats. It's Mm -hmm. like, uh, you know, there's, there's just amazing people in this city and we're we're just really proud to not only be working with them, but also be in their guidance and, and sort of like learning from them, allowing them to, to be our mentors and sort of like just just learning so much. And it's been a huge process, a huge learning process of just learning from from everyone. Um, Helen Moore to um, shout out to Mother Helen. Yep. Yeah. She was out there in Lansing yesterday with us. Uh, um, Monica Lewis Patrick, which also has been she amazing. She was on our show. Mm-hmm. That's the homie Water Warrior. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, so yeah, you know the the history, the legacy of resistance in this city is just amazing. So we have nothing but respect for this city, and sort of like that that segue from hip hop to MLK and sort of how that meets. I I think that intersection is perfect, right? Just mm-hmm. reminding the mm-hmm. listeners that that hip-hop has a strong strong roots in, in radicalness yeah uh mm. that was protest music for a lot of youth uh, of its time yeah. and also reminding the young folks that are listening that that dr king was in his 20s when he started organizing in yeah. the south i mean really <clears throat> i mean when you look at his family because his father and his father's father uh in the organization that took place his whole life you know his mm-hmm. his his whole life and he was murdered so young mm-hmm. you know um his whole life like it was in the essence of that but it was so many different people that he intersected with uh, a lot of the men we speak but a mm-hmm. lot of the women were the reasons That's why right. any of those movements even happened right yeah mm-hmm. definitely that's why when I name, I think I name maybe like three men and like eight women. Yeah. <laughs> so the ratio is like yeah. uh, one to three or something like that, and that's yeah. that's definitely right. true for the campaign as well. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Oh, shouts out to Mama Maureen. Shouts out to General Baker, R.I.P. Um, who else did you shout out? Uh, Maureen Taylor. Yeah, Mama Maureen. That's a fire. We got to get her on here. Uh, yeah, but man. I mean, also when you speak of Maureen Taylor, uh, somebody that people don't really bring up, but uh, when you talk about buying a block, uh, mm-hmm. doing things with integrity, Agnes Hitchcock, and the work she's done is one of those names. I really need to get her on Detroit is different, like for like a, a two part series almost. But Agnes Hitchcock. Mm. 
as a part know? of as a part of the campaign as a part or of a part anything, of anything yeah that is supportive of the people mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. it, it's people that i know she let you know how stay in houses uh work that she's done i mean most people just know her for calling them out um mm-hmm. you know throwing grapes at people but it's so much more mm-hmm. that she has done in the city that walked line step with so many of these people shout out to the michigan citizen back when it was cracking yeah for, uh giving people a media voice and platform right right that's right and also an understanding that everything that has happened in the rest of the country has happened in detroit first mm-hmm. yeah right? yeah austerity mm-hmm. measures uh yeah. neoliberalism which might be foreign to some folks sort of like emergency management yeah. this is sort of like ground the zero. test size yeah it's ground zero for what comes to the rest of the mm-hmm. to the to the country we were the first people to get metal detectors mm-hmm. oh, like man. in the school i went to a school where we had metal detectors i don't know if that started before here or yeah what? in 1986 i actually went to northwestern high school it was the pilot school for the it was the pilot school for metal detectors <laughs> i had just up. moved here from new york city <laughs> i was in the ninth grade and uh i remember they were like we're gonna try this new program because your school has been, has has the worst statistics of violence in the whole country, and so they started the metal detect. They were like, if it works here, we're gonna spread that out. Then they started that at my school. Nineteen eighty six, metal detectors started Northwestern High School. We were part of that pilot program. So yeah, yeah. Northwestern. Good I'm old gonna, you know. I want to tell y'all a story, and I'm gonna be silent, but it was like three years ago. I was reading this article about people from Brooklyn feeling mentally clogged, artists. And they were saying there's just so many tourists and we can't think and blah, blah, blah. And at the end of the article, it said, if you want your creative juice back, move to Detroit. Wow. So I thought that was really, really, really interesting. I believe that. And I think it's interesting that you guys are here and you guys are talking about um, Detroit being ahead in a lot of different senses. But I think where you are ahead and what you guys also add is, I mean, gentrification in in New York is where <laughs> the cookie cutter starts. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So the fact that you can come here and uh, you guys can be a voice for that as well is mm-hmm. very powerful because you've seen it at its finest. So mm-hmm. yeah. I just That's wanted right. to say that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Oftentimes, Carlos says, like, I feel like we're coming from the future. Like, he's come from the future because he grew up in Manhattan his whole life yeah. and has seen the changes. And then you come here and we can pinpoint, like, oh, yeah. That's oh, what happened like yeah. two years ago. That, yeah. It's like a speeding train is yeah. coming at you, and yeah, yes, and Ni- it's hard to stop. Yeah, nineties ni- yeah. New York, nineties Harlem. It was lit. Let's let's talk. <laughs> it, it was, was a whole different type of culture going <laughs> oh, down. I've heard. <laughs> what about eighties Harlem? I never touched eighties Harlem. That's but when I, I lived. Yeah. That's when I lived in New York <laughs> in the eighties. Yeah, I know you got a story for us. Douglas Project. Shouts out to the Douglas Projects. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so like definitely like this whole idea of gentrification um, and coming from a city like New York, I've seen the changes and I've seen sort of what big money does to cities and they basically destroy cities. They destroy communities. They frustrate people to the point where people just start to leave. Mm. So this is sort of like what we start talking about in the campaign about like all of these are basically attacks on the poor, right? Yeah. And I want to shout out uh, my homies in El, El Barrio. Uh, the welfare poets, because yes. when I interviewed them uh, a couple of years ago, um, one of the lessons that I learned from from them was basically that we need to we need to reclaim words, right? As right. the same way that we need to reclaim stories. Mm-hmm. So the reason why they call themselves the welfare poets because they've been on welfare their entire life, but they're also taking care of their families, they're taking care of the communities. So therefore, they have 
they're doing the welfare of the community. Very mm-hmm. they're interesting. Looking for the welfare of the people, mm-hmm. right? So we need to reclaim what poor is, right, in the United States. If mm. you are uh, a college educated person and you have fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars in debt, you are poor. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. If you are a homeowner and you can't pay your water bills, you're poor. Yeah. If you can't make your par- car payments, you're poor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If if you have to work one, two, three jobs just to make a living, you're poor. If you don't own your home. Mm-hmm. If you don't own your home, if you have a mortgage, you're poor, right? So like yeah. we need to redefine what yeah. what poor is in the United States and this is sort of like if what you we're have doing. to work. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Oh, what what I agree. If you have to like, work, you're if poor. you can't <laughs> imagine a financial future for yourself, right. if you can't even have the time or the the money to be like this is what I got to do in the future for my finances. Well, yeah. you can't do that because you got to think about it right now. Yeah. You're poor. Yeah. That's very true. And we often think of the poor person as that homeless person on the street or the person right. asking for change over here. But no, that's you and me. Yeah. If you if you have to continue the job that you're doing or you if you have to work, if you cannot take time off for any reason, whether it be <sighs> if you're sick or if you want a vacation or if you just don't feel like going, you're poor. Mm-hmm. I also want to <laughs> say like, the poverty line in the U.S. is extremely distorted. Mm-hmm. So um, the Poor People's Campaign put out a moral audit 50 years after the 19, 1968 campaign, kind of going around the country and with numbers and with people's stories, thinking about and writing about what's going on right now in the USA in terms of poverty. Mm. And one of the things that they were saying is that the poverty line in the U.S., um, for one person, you're considered poor if you make $11,000 a year right. for one person. Right. But that's... For one person, eleven thousand dollars a year—that's that doesn't make any sense. That's way below just being poor. That's it like is. extreme poverty. That's extreme poverty. And then for like two people, it goes to like eighteen thousand. Then for a family of four, it's like twenty-eight thousand a year. And I'm like, that's not that's right. That's extreme poverty. So Pete, you're poor. At like, if you have a family of four and you're making fifty thousand dollars a year, yeah, you're, you're poor. poor. So that that's a distorted line. So with that measurement, mm-hmm. it's forty million people who are at at the poverty line or below. Yeah, yeah. If you take into consideration that that number is not realistic, it jumps up to 140 million people, including mm-hmm. out-of-pocket costs like insurance or car oh, yeah. payments. And so 140 Basic million people, needs. That's, that's almost 50% of Americans. Oh, yeah. But more than I would say. So, okay. So let's go back a little bit. Um, and this is just, you know, to set it for people who just don't know. Um, can you just give us... Um, a history of the poor people's campaign like its Mm -hmm. origin and that you know so just to orient us yeah so i think it's it's really interesting that you started with that story right because a lot of people have a distorted idea of what dr king was Mm -hmm. he's sort of like frozen in time of this um a law-abiding black person who was just standing (laughs) in the national mall and managed to invite a bunch of people that were really dapper and and they were nonviolent. and he basically gave a speech about having a dream but people forget that like dr king was radical he was a right. radical person right. like towards the end of his life he starts talking about the radical redistribution of wealth yeah. and the redis- redistribution of political power in the united states you did just so um because those are kind of big words mm-hmm. and even though we know what they mean the conceptually could you just tell us about those two concepts like kind of briefly before you go into the rest of it yeah definitely so what we mean by a radical redistribution of of, of political wealth is that economic. Uh, economic wealth is that there's a handful of individuals in the united states that make more money in the united states like last year alone there were seven people that made more money in one year to abolish poverty altogether in the world 
yet 64 million workers don't make a living wage. They don't make more mm -hmm. than $15 an hour. Mm -hmm. They make less than $15 an hour. Mm -hmm. So that's what we mean by uh, um, sort of like a redistribution of, of wealth is that there, there's a consoli consolidation or there's a there's a pooling of money in the hands of very few mm -hmm. while many of us are struggling day to day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What we mean about the redistribution of, of power. So like when we talk about power is that we need to like come together and build a strong base for us to stand on. Mm -hmm. So in 1964, when the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act were passed, there were amazing pieces of legislation. But now we move forward, fast forward 50 years later, later we had less voting, uh, voting polls in 2016 than we did back in 1968. Mm. We have more segregated schools and more segregated communities than we did back in 1968. Mm. Because it's not about legislation, it's about building power. We didn't mm -hmm. have the power to make sure that that legislation was implemented in the way that we needed. Okay. And we haven't seen that in the United States yet. We haven't seen the ability to build power beyond racial lines, before beyond gender lines, beyond mm -hmm. these lines of division that to be completely honest, they benefit uh, the wealthy of this nation and not us. Right. Um, so yeah, so like take it back in history, uh, Dr. King launched the Poor People's Campaign back in 1967. And this is basically right after he came out uh, opposing the Vietnam War mm -hmm. and that was a very very um, unpopular stance to take at the time right. uh, to the point that that Lyndon Johnson completely abandoned him Lyndon Johnson right. was his friend and he completely abandoned him and who else abandoned him the rest of his team abandoned him mm -hmm. basically yeah so all the people right now mm -hmm. that we see on CNN crying at the Martin Luther King mm -hmm. memorial celebrations mm -hmm. Andrew Young mm -hmm. uh, Jesse Jackson mm -hmm. Uh, all these mm -hmm. guys, they all abandoned them too. And you know, it's exactly. a distortion because people think, oh, MLK, Martin Luther King was so loved. And it's like, no. Right. Actually, a lot of people did not like Martin Luther King. Mm. But when we whitewash history and when we make it seem like he was this docile, law-abiding person, he was nonviolent, like turn the other cheek kind of person, then all of a sudden people are like, oh, yeah, yeah, Martin Luther King, you know, that's what's up. Right. Like, what's but, so funny is, is that they create him that way but then it's almost a double-edged sword because so many people think that that was weak that he was almost mm -hmm. like working for the government because mm -hmm. of that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. exactly yeah. they and that's what they want they want you to yes yeah. and i think it's very interesting how they create these uh sort of like uh two ends of the Binaries. spectrum right yes. you have a binary of malcolm x being the strong right, right, powerful right. leader who stood against power and basically was offered you know by any means necessary and on the other side you had this law abiding pastor who wasn't radical right so they use that against us mm -hmm. now right mm -hmm, anytime mm -hmm. we take the streets in ferguson anytime people took the streets in new york anytime people took the took over standing rock they always reflect back on like, why can't you be more like Dr. King? <laughs> why can't yes. you be more of a law-abiding citizen? Right. Why are you being so loud? Right, right, right. Without necessarily understanding that like, towards the end of Dr. King's life, uh, Malcolm X and Dr. King were coming to an intersection of understanding each other. Mm -hmm. And they were like really good friends at the end of their life. Mm -hmm. um, before Malcolm was assassinated and before Dr. King was assassinated. Mm. So I think we need to reclaim that history. We right. need to revive the legacy of Dr. King, the revolution, like the revolutionary legacy of Dr. King and can allow it to be hijacked by a major corporation to sell uh, uh, automobiles in the Super right. Bowl. <laughs> we, can't, we, we just oh can't allow that God. to happen. Right, right. right. I think he was turning in his grave when that happened. He must have been like, that is not 
That yeah, is not what he meant. Mm-hmm. 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 So yeah, so tell us some more about the Poor People's Campaign the, in, 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 in historical terms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so when Dr. King launched the Poor People's Campaign, like, like we uh, mentioned, a lot of his base abandoned him. A lot of the civil rights leaders abandoned mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. So in two years, Dr. King basically had to tour the entire nation finding support for the Poor People's Campaign. Mm-hmm. It was a new way of organizing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in which he was moving away from uh, civil rights uh, to human rights. Right. Um, and in a matter Can of two just, years. Can um, yeah. even though we get that, give us um, h- how that's defined? Yeah. So the way that I like to explain that is that Dr. King has this quote, and it's, it's a paraphrase, paraphrase, paraphrase quote, uh, when basically he says, there is no use in desegregating um, lunch counters mm-hmm. if I don't have any money to buy a cheeseburger mm. so um when he was talking about civil rights it was definitely important for his time to desegregate the south and and desegregate the nation but it wasn't enough to lift millions of people out of poverty in the united mm. states so dr king in 2000 in, um in 1968 1967 he was looking at roughly 26 million people in the united states living in poverty mm. today um if we use the conservative number we're, we're looking at 40 million but the number that we're using is 140 million people in the United States are living in poverty. Mm-hmm. One in every two Americans in the United States are living on, below, or right above the poverty line. Mm. So it's basically a circle of, of them going in and out of poverty right. type of situation. Which if is, they which, lose a job, if mm-hmm. they get a new job, if mm-hmm. they have to take less pay, mm-hmm. if they lose their insurance, if they have get debt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So then when he moved to this idea of like human rights, talking about the economy, talking about uh, making sure everyone had a living wage and all these other stuff, he had to find new allies. And he reached out to AIM, the American Indian Movement. Mm. He re- reached out to the, the, the Puerto Rican folks in New York and in Chicago. Uh, he reached out to the Farm Workers Movement with Cesar Chavez. Mm-hmm. Um, he reached out to uh, Appalachia, uh, mm-hmm. Poor Whites. Um, and basically brought them to a room. And, like, you can see this on YouTube. It, there's just, like, this short clip of Dr. King talking about him having a dream, the real dream, the, the dream that we that we should be talking about. Mm-hmm. And essentially is the dream of, of bringing all these people together mm-hmm. into one room to understand that they all have a common cause. They all have a common um, a sort of a, a line of vision that they want to explore, but also understanding that they have a common enemy. Mm. And that common enemy is a group of people in the United States that exploit millions of Americans across the country. Okay. I also just, in that point of civil rights and human rights, I Mm -hmm. think it's important to think about the way that I think about civil rights is like, you know, voting. It's being able to go um, to to those schools that you want to go to, right? Policies. And human rights are really about um, survival, right? Having the right to water, having the right to housing, having the right to uh, food, right? Um, and I think civil rights and human rights can go, they can be one and the same sometimes, but mm-hmm. there are certain differences. And I think you need civil rights to build that power to get those human rights. But, you know, that's yeah. one I want to. And then I think um, another way to think of it, too, which is the same way, is like human rights are, are you can't give me my human rights. Yes, exactly. You know, mm-hmm. if, you know? if you're human, you should have it. You should have the access. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, continue. Tell us a little more history. <laughs> yeah. Only because I want folks to kind of mm-hmm. um, understand like where it mm-hmm. came from. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, after, so he was able to unite everyone across the board, right? And a lot of people criticized the campaign 
for many reasons, right? Um, Dr. King, well, a lot of people credit the fact that he was bringing all these different people across the nation um, to, to, to stand together as the reason why Dr. King was assassinated. So it's not like a coincidence that um, a couple of weeks uh, after he has this meeting, he is shot and killed um, in the balcony in, in Memphis, right? Mm. Um, and people continued, continued the, the, the Poor People's Campaign. And essentially what they did, they brought millions of, I mean, they brought uh, hundreds of thousands of people from all over the country to D.C. and they had an encampment. And for mm -hmm. those that don't really know the history, it rained almost sing every single day they were mm -hmm. there. It was horrible conditions. Mm -hmm. But anecdotes from that day basically tells that this was the first time that people were actually seen as human in the United States. Mm. They had schools where everyone had a chance to learn. They had everyone had a place to eat. Everyone had a place to eat, uh, to, to sleep. And everyone had uh, uh, access to medical attention. Mm. Even though it was raining, the kids made the best of it. There's some amazing footage and some pictures of of kids using random pieces of plastic as rafts as, mm. as uh, Resurrection City flooded because it rained so much. And, and people just sitting around playing music and just mm -hmm. hanging out. And, Resur and Resurrection City was the name of the encampment. Yeah, yeah. Resurrection City was the mm -hmm. name of the encampment. I think one of the important parts of that, too, is the cultural work that, that went with that. The mm -hmm. hanging out, like white folks, black folks, Native American folks, Latinos, all hanging out and sharing each with each other their culture, whether it was through song, whether it was through food, whether it was through just the way that we talk to one another. I think, right. you know, those are the small victories that we sometimes fail to see. Right. Because in building movements as big as Dr. King was trying to do, there has to be a cultural exchange and a cultural understanding between people. Right. And through that encampment, some of that was happening. And through that encampment, connections built up and beyond the campaign, those connections, I think, still uh, still continued. Right. Yeah. And I think, so like I said, a lot of people criticize the campaign because they didn't accomplish what they set out to uh, to, to, to do. It was essentially was to transform the nation and mm. offered uh, affordable housing and offered uh, living wages <coughs> to everyone and lift millions of people out of poverty, right? So people were looking for this all-in-one sort of, you know, solution. Uh, there's like a multivitamin. Exactly. <laughs> and and it was like, okay, the world's problems are not solved, so the campaign failed. Yeah. Yeah. That's basically what, what, yeah. what the sentiment was. Yeah. But I, I like to talk more about sort of like what what came out of it because yeah, the campaign yeah. birthed a lot of stuff in mm -hmm. 1968 that, that people don't really know. Okay. So um, I was down in Arizona uh, maybe a month ago and a brother down there, basically shared a piece of history that I didn't know. So uh, this is this is just a brief story that he shared with me was that, that there was a young man, he was 19 years old. His name was uh, Corky Gonzalez. He was, uh, he was a native of, of Colorado. He heard Dr. King speak and he was so moved by his message that he decided to jump on a bus and take the bus all the way to DC. And once he's in DC, he meets all these other activists around the country he was a mexican-american man and he goes to dc and he meets all these activists and he starts sort of like vibing with them and talking to them and he meets abernathy which at the time was i right. think it was uh Shouts the, out. yeah he was what the secretary of 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 dr king i can't remember exactly what what but he Let's was look a up abernathy why, why you keep talking <laughs> right. we look up so he meets abernathy and was. i think he meets some someone someone else too and basically what comes out of that 
he he's so inspired by what he sees in Resurrection City, right? The fact that everyone has access to food, that mm-hmm. everyone has access to housing, that everyone has access to education and healthcare. And he goes back to Colorado and eventually moves to Los Angeles and he starts thinking about what does this mean or what does that look like for Mexican Americans in the United States? And he births the Chicano movement, <laughs> which those that don't know, the Chicano movement comes with a rich history of not only activism, they were they birthed the Brown Barrettes. Um, it comes through a, a, a rich history of music, through a rich history of literature, um, and sort of like gave birth to what Latino identity or Latinx identity will sit on mm-hmm. in the next couple of years, right? Um, also, some, a lot of the folks that went to Resurrection City in 1968, g- that also gave birth to the Black Panthers Party and the Black Power Movement, right? Like that, that sort of like, it was already getting started with Stokely Carmichael, but sort of like this whole idea that like we can provide for every single individual in mm. the United States with very limited resources, birthed the idea of, of thinking about how can we provide for our own communities. So just real quick, um, Abernathy led the uh, he led the Poor People's Campaign after King's assassination, but his relationship um, to King he basically was uh, it says he was a mentor and um, to King and uh, he collaborated with King to create the Montgomery Improvement Association and that's what led to the Montgomery bus boycott and he uh, he also co-founded um, and was an executive director. Uh, an executive board member of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, which is the SCLC. Um, and then he also served as an advisory uh, uh, of the Congress on the uh, on racial equality, which was core. And um, yeah, so check out um, Ralph Abernathy. Uh, I mean, he has a rich, 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 rich history. He's really important um, to the movement. And uh, yeah, just wanted to make sure we get that get that in there. Mm-hmm. But keep going. Yeah, and I guess just to wrap it up, so um, just for the listeners, I I hope people understand sort of like the history um, that we're standing on, the legacy that we're standing on, and the fact that that part of the campaign is to revive, like I said, that that history of Dr. King, that radical narrative of Dr. King, to reclaim mm-hmm. Dr. King for what he was, a man of the people, and not a man of a multi-million-dollar corporation that sells automobiles. Right. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. sort of like the history that we stand on cur- currently. Okay. So let's come to currently. Um, so ne- so when did the Poor People's Campaign become, should I say, resurrected? Who resurrected it? And like, where did this come from? This new, the, the one that we're looking at now. Yeah. So um the co-chairs of the campaign are Reverend Liz Theo Harris and Dr. William uh, Barber. Okay. Uh, for those that don't know um, Liz Theo Harris, she is an amazing woman, has dedicated her life to movement work, or, um, particularly around like homelessness. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, Miriam Kramer was actually her mentor. Uh, mm. she, was, um, she was sort of like birthed into the movement in Detroit, yeah, and then eventually moved to Philadelphia and then New York, where she continued her legacy of homeless organizing. She was mm-hmm. part of, I believe, uh, the uh, the homeless union. Which, okay. uh, for those that don't know, in the early '90s, they were able to occupy multiple homes across the nation HUD with homes. a coordinated effort of occupying HUD homes mm. that eventually led to uh, forcing different states to pass 
uh, housing affordability plan, mm. which a lot of people don't really know that. So uh, uh, she comes from a long legacy of organizing. Um, uh, Reverend Barber, the mm -hmm. other co-chair, he comes from North Carolina. He was uh, the he was the the president of the NAACP CP, uh, chapter down in North Carolina but then moved to a rural part in North Carolina and became the pastor of a small church there. And um, essentially when he was there, uh, he started seeing that that voter suppression was a major issue in North Carolina. So he took that on and, and started this movement called Moral Mondays, Okay. Uh, which essentially was just a, a movement of bringing a few people to talk about uh, how uh, voter suppression was a racist tactic that that was used that was being used in the South to mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. not only suppress the the votes of, of of black working class people but also suppress the the votes in turn of all people, um, and that's sort of like the people that are are there. But I think uh, what's beyond that it's sort of like the multiple or organizers and leaders that are are also part of this campaign. So people okay. in Philly, people in New York people in in detroit who mm -hmm. have been doing this work for years mm -hmm. for like 20 30 years have dedicated their entire life they are to some extent the heroes and the people pushing the campaign mm -hmm. forward mm -hmm. that are not always seen on tv that aren't always covered in the news in in, in the media mm -hmm. but these are the people who are pushing the campaign forward yeah, and i would also say that those people are been doing poor people campaign work the whole time right because they've been helping poor folks the whole time right, right and i think this this movement what we're trying to do is really bringing all those folks together to say let's connect the dots yeah. because this isn't just one issue here one issue here one issue there but they're all connected to a root problem and we need to get to the root problem to really come to some serious solutions and build some serious power mm -hmm. um so so yeah yeah, yeah. so um Tell us about, so now you guys are, are, are you based in, is the Poor People's Camp based, uh, Poor People's Campaign based in Detroit? Or like where, do you have a base or how does that, what's that structure like? Well, it has multiple levels. So there's the national level, which includes over 30 states. Then there's the state level, which has their coordinating committees. And then there's local um, committees, which are in Detroit or Flint, uh, Washtenaw County and different areas. And every state kind of is but it, the idea is to spread out along the state and yeah. to have a chain of communication between national, state, and local um, chapters, okay. um, which is can get complicated, but it, it's been working pretty good so far. And then you guys have, because um, it's not like a typical campaign, mm -mm. It, so can you tell us about like what the campaign is? Because you have these multiple um, actions, multiple mm -hmm you know, uh, strategies is mixed with um, political education. Mm -hmm. And can you tell us about like yeah. what it is? Well, before I say that, I also mm -hmm. want to say that the well, one of the things that for the campaign resurrecting is that we thought that in on the campaign that we were tired of commemorating King. We're tired mm -hmm. of just having the ceremonies and remembering. Mm -hmm. We're like, you know, fuck that. We need to resurrect. We need to continue the work. Mm -hmm. We need to pick up where he left off because right. he, he was gaining some ground and he was mm. doing really important work. Okay. And so this is was like, okay, we're not going to commemorate anymore. We're going to do the work. Yeah. Um, or commemorate by doing. Uh, yes, uh, commemorate <laughs> by actually doing, continuing mm -hmm. what he, what he uh, you know, wasn't able to, to finish. Yeah. Um, so you asked about, you know, what the actions and the 40 days and... Yeah, because there's like a whole... Um, mm -hmm organization to the way that you guys are even doing this campaign because mm -hmm. it's it's a uh, 
there's performances and there's mm-hmm. political education and there's gatherings and there's mm-hmm. phone calls and mm-hmm. and then there's different committees if you will that are mm-hmm. doing different things so you know and then there's actions and mm-hmm. so I just wanted to give people understanding like like what is all this stuff that's mm-hmm. taking place yeah so the the first part of the launch of the campaign the beginning mm-hmm. is the 40 days of action mm-hmm. which is six weeks we're in the fourth week now going on to the fifth mm-hmm. um and every monday the structure is that every monday you will have a direct action at the state capitol mm-hmm. um and on Tuesdays, we have teach-ins and political education. And then Thursdays, we have arts and culture nights, which in here in Michigan, it's been taking more like art builds and getting together and doing open mics and doing art together. Um, and then we do the whole all over again on the next week. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But the purpose of the 40 days, the way that I have my analysis, is really a, a political education of the entire nation. Mm-hmm. It's really getting into the problems that this nation is really facing and trying to lift them up to the top. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things, one of the narratives that we're trying to um, destroy is this idea that you are poor because you made the wrong choice. Mm. That you're poor because you chose the wrong job. Mm. You chose the wrong husband. You're in the wrong neighborhood. Mm. You know, you went to the wrong school. Mm-hmm. You didn't choose the right career. Mm-hmm. You have too many kids. Mm. You know, so we're trying to say that that's not why we're poor. We're mm. poor because there's a systemic problem. We're poor because of our conditions that are created by a system. Right. And so I think that's one of the issues with saying we're a poor people's campaign. People are like, I'm not poor. I'm like, are you sure? Like we were saying, like, if you get really sick, can is that going to affect your the way that you live day to day? Yeah, and definitely so, will. Yeah. And so, those, so, and so we're trying to uh, create this political education by highlighting the real issues that the four... Um, things that we're focusing on are ecological devastation, the war economy, systemic poverty, systemic racism. Mm. And so underneath all of those, there are a ton of other issues as well that are all interconnected. And so we're using those four to kind of ground ourselves in the issues at hand. And and so our demands are also around those four um, pillars of evil. Tell us about your demands. (laughs) Our demands. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. So uh, demands. Yeah, (laughs) demands. There's there's demands. the, The demands are broad man the demands are lengthy but um last week we were up in lansing right uh where 29 people got arrested yesterday you mean oh was it yesterday yes 29 was yesterday yesterday so Mm -hmm. yesterday we got 29 people got arrested we shut down the mdeq building wrapped it with wait what's mdeq uh the michigan department of environmental quality okay um we wrapped the building with caution tape and essentially turned that into a crime scene and mm-hmm. we were trying to uh, get Rick Snyder to basically go to jail for um, crimes against humanity. For being a murderer. Exactly. For murdering. Exactly. exactly. And, and also Heidi, um, I'm not going to look up her name, her last name. Heidi yeah. Gathers, I think her name is. Yeah, so we basically. What does she do? She's the head of the Department of Environmental Quality. Well, let's, uh, and then let's also say this. Um, I guess what whatever they charged Adolf Hitler with, let's charge. Um, <laughs> because he didn't actually murder people, but he was complicit in the organization of the uh, poisoning and contamination of people. Right. That's right. Continue. And That's children. Right. That's right. I mean, well, I, I, what I was right telling the people yesterday is like... Heidi Gather. Is like, essentially, Rick, Rick Snyder has stolen the lives of hundreds of thousands of children in Flint mm. because now they're dealing with Potentially uh, long-term effects of exposure to lead. 
Mm. Um, so, um, like just sort of like mentioned a little bit, uh, the weeks have been themed. The first week we went up there, we were focusing on systemic poverty. The second week we were focusing on systemic racism, focusing not only on mass incarceration, but voter suppression, uh, gentrification, and a bunch of other issues that affect the mistreatment of indigenous communities, as well as immigration issues. Um, the second week, the third, the third week was... Um, Everyone has no. No, that's coming up. I'm sorry. These 40 days have been crazy. <laughs> that I'm that sure. things have. Anyway, uh, so yesterday our theme was ecological devastation, focusing mm. on the health of the planet, but also focusing on the health of the people. Okay. And the demands for this week were essentially: we want green jobs. Right. We want renewable, completely 100% renewable energy, and 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 clean energy. We want com the ban of fracking. And extractive processes that destroy mm -hmm. not only our our land, our water, our air, uh, but also the fact that our indigenous communities have been fighting rent, uh, tirelessly these major corporations tirelessly that are destroying destroying our land. Um, and also, we were talking about the fact that we need to have the right to have access to clean, unpolluted water. And affordable it must water. be affordable. Right. We're talking about uh, an affordable, uh, an affordable plan for water, um, and this has only been possible because people from Michigan have been pushing the campaign to right. put that on the demands. Mm -hmm. um, and also, we were focusing on on the eco treatment of people with disabilities, um, mm. and also the expansion of of healthcare, single payer healthcare, if not universal healthcare, mm -hmm. as well as the expansion of Medicaid and Medicare for all. Right. So those were our demands for last week, um, right. and now coming on this, this next week. week, we are going to be focusing on everyone has the right to live, uh, mm. housing, education, jobs. Uh, living wages, federal in federal income, jobs. Uh, so yeah, every week week is themed. I love this um, idea of like the themed. Uh, I told this story um, when Monica uh, Lewis Patrick was here, Water Warrior. Shouts out to her. We the people of Detroit. But um, <coughs> excuse me. But there was a certain person of so called stature in Detroit that I had a conversation with, and this person has some level of what people will call power and so-called statue <laughs> <laughs> and uh you Shade. know we start yeah and we started talking and she was like water is a human right where they do that at and that just speaks to your you know and i said to her you know what about people who uh you know i mean you, basically her whole thing is being upset that she got her degree she quote unquote did what she was supposed to do. This is like out of her mouth. Mm -hmm. And why couldn't they step their game up and do what they were supposed to do? And mm -hmm. like my my whole thing is like so that philosophy leads you to a point where even though you're from the hood, you're orienting yourself in this kind of thought that people who are poor don't even deserve to live. Mm -hmm. They don't even deserve access to like a basic life need because they are poor she but, said yeah go ahead but that's the narrative we're talking about where we yeah. think poverty is a choice like, like people want to be poor like we'll step their game up well what does that mean 
What if you can't find a job? What if you're a, like I, I'm a teacher in DPS and I and I have you know moms with three kids that it's like either I get a job and leave my kids alone and my kids are taken away, or I don't get a job and I, my kids still get taken away because. I don't got money to, to do things with. Or you don't. Or you didn't right? pay your hundred fifty dollars so, water bill. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So where is the choice? What's the choice in that? And um, and that's a dangerous place to be. Yeah. I, I do have. Um, it, it's so hard to to look at the concept of poverty right now for me where I'm at in the thought process because some of it in a society based on capitalism. <clears throat> And it's driven by the concept of scarcity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is the adage that many preachers that love to keep their pockets filled, they always say, well, <laughs> even in the Bible, it says we will, the poor will always live amongst us. <laughs> but the, the, the concept of value systems and then what we quantify of having value, having more value being finances mm-hmm. instead of the substantive value of like the the social capital that is very existent in communities that mm-hmm. are labeled as impoverished. Right. Uh, and then also the resources that are abundant within knowledge, wisdom, mm-hmm. skill sets, culture. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What, 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 what sense of value is placed? And that's the thing. We had a conversation earlier where it was like, we're taught as so-called Americans, <laughs> mm-hmm. or especially, you know, in a black American community, for sure, mm-hmm. um, is that success is not here. To be successful, you need to leave here. So anybody that's living here, anybody that's around here is unsuccessful. And yeah. you need to you need to go get your education, spend money on your education, go someplace else. And then that someplace else should be like mm-hmm. a suburb or a condo. Well, right. wait, somewhere. wait, let's let's uh, yeah. let's really drive this point home. Yeah. Like I always say, mm-hmm. uh, the best systems of success are systems where middle aged white men flourish. This is an ideology that has been very prevalent mm-hmm. in America because America has been drawn by middle-aged white men, the right. blueprints, you right. know, so it's it's definitely going to the home team. And even the ideas of the heroes that we look up to yeah. that are outside of the scope of being middle-aged white men, they're generally coming with the attributes of what people would look at a middle-aged white man for having. So it's like, wow, I'm successful because I live next to a lot of middle-aged white men. Right. I'm, I'm successful because I went to a school that a lot of middle-aged white men think is cool. I'm successful because I play golf with a lot of middle-aged white men so like we have to get i think to the root of a lot of the theories and the value systems itself and this is the flip side of white supremacy when we get into internalized colonization all that uh, inferiority uh internalized colonization where uh, even in the the you know kindergarten class Mm-hmm. When children are gathering and they're quantifying which student is uh, coming with, I guess, uh, the best things to offer and who's the coolest kid, mm-hmm. it's often based on things that could be contextualized within material uh, material goods. So the, the ideas, mm-hmm. the ideas of 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 how we you know battle this is so psychological Mm. it's uh it's physical and Mm -hmm. and very mental um every step of the way even with the concept of what poverty is Mm -hmm. is it's fighting against the ethic of scarcity which 
I, you know, I'm I'm well, washed, so I, I'm washed college, and that is the driving force yeah. of capitalism. Well, like for I the want, lady that I was telling you about, her whole thing was like, which was crazy. She said, "Oh, I used to help poor people. I used to do that. Like mm-hmm. I used to, meaning that she used to be in some sort of social services job, right? Mm-hmm. So her whole thing was like, I used to help poor people, but when I used to go into their home, I saw they had like eleven TVs." And all these sneakers That's and stuff, funny, isn't and it? their priorities. Eleven TV. Well, this is out of her mouth. I know? mean, but no, I mean, and just, they had all these sneakers, and so their priorities were out of whack, and so that's why they don't deserve water. But you know, what? I want to touch upon this this mental and like kind of what I think is is a cultural shift that is needed, mm-hmm. right? And that's what mm-hmm. we're trying to push for is this idea that, for example, we throw like sixty million tons of food out in the U.S. Right, which from could, restaurants or whatever. Yeah, and that could feed people around the world. That could sure end could. hunger. But why don't we do that? Because in our value right. system, you got to work. You got to put in the work to earn that food. But yeah. when you have the perspective of a human right, if you're human, you get to eat. Yeah. So like, I want to live in a world that when a baby is born, I can say to the baby, like, you just, you're going to get all the love, but you also get a house and you mm-hmm. get food and mm-hmm. you get education, you get healthcare just because you were born and you are human. Yeah. And that concept is hard because you're like, well, you got to work for it. Well, you got to do this for it. Well, yeah. And I'm of the idea, like, I do not believe that right. humans are inherently lazy. Right. You stay still for more than five, ten days. You're just like, all right, I need to do something. And so right. this idea that poor people are lazy doesn't make any sense. Or this idea that poor people should do anything, right? Yes. The, which is that concept. Yeah. And as opposed to us shifting our thinking into, like, what is meaningful work? And what does it mean to do something meaningful here, mm-hmm. earn a living, contribute mm-hmm. to the world and society where it makes an impact, you know, like mm-hmm. that. And, and and when we look at it, like when we, especially when I talk to bourgeois Negroes, the first thing out of their mouth is they need to get these prisoners out here <laughs> and work on these streets and these roads or clean this up. And I'm thinking to myself, like, Next you live here. <laughs> like, you need to get oh, out here man. and clean up this road in the street. But, but it's like the concept of these people that we don't value need to do this work that we feel is not valuable. Like, taking mm-hmm. care, like doing nannying, like cleaning, like doing these things that we feel that we've mm-hmm. risen above and we're beyond. Which, if we really flip it, um, the people who do take care of the land and who take care of others are actually... The people who are doing the most meaningful work. Well, in certain cultures, in certain societies, I would argue that that belief is more prevalent (coughs) in -hmm. some communities here, even in America, depending upon the the ethics that you've been that you buy into. And then I will also say here's another economic term, (laughs) depending upon at the margin of where you're at in your journey, because Mm -hmm. that that newlywed that has a child and they're working downtown and now they need someone to care for that child that's not going to um i guess raise the child up uh in the shadows of god knows what like just sitting down and watching who's the baby's daddy on mari every day right and it's like hey you know we actually wanted somebody that could help and tutor my kid and teach him something and give him values now some of these things will bring you back to reality. And that's where like even this concept of what poverty is, yeah. the idea of 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 the mentality yeah. and, and where people place value on money itself. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, the economic model, I mean, Wealth of Nations, it's a very hard read, very, very hard read, but uh, <laughs> the it's the Bible of capitalism, as they say. Right. Mm-hmm. The, the idea of, pushing the that that 
you know, supply and demand meat. But the idea for supply and demand to meet and you to make wealth is to make the 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 whatever the commodity is more scarce and commodities Mm -hmm. are are abundantly worth more. So if food was free, then now I have to make a better sandwich to really make a profit. I don't want to do that. I want to make the the, I want to put in the minimal amount of inputs Mm -hmm. to maximize my amount of outputs. Yeah, And this is the this is the theories that are are professed in in so many systems Mm -hmm. even the concept of education that people always talk about like isn't that a public Mm -hmm. good education was a public good because you need to turn the agricultural worker into an industrial worker right but Mm -hmm. andrew carnegie never cared about people learning to read Right. You could give less of a damn, but he knew that, okay, if you were a farmer, you needed to learn how to read these instructions to mm-hmm. now get on that assembly line. Right. So the these systems, these ethics, the, the truths we hold for men that is, exist and it sounds really cool, you right. know, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, <laughs> all of that shit, uh, excuse my French, for the most part, is ways for businesses to use and exploit mm-hmm. people. Even the 13th Amendment that quote unquote set us free (laughs) in that same right it also created the idea for a corporation to have autonomy meaning that you can hide behind the veil of what a corporation is right and conduct business in Mm -hmm. whatever manner you have with you know with possibly with integrity but possibly less than integrity Mm mm-hmm dissolve that and then go into business with somebody else but without any personal accountability to it that was the freedom that was given to corporations with the quote-unquote setting black people free as well we we need to we need to i need to Mm -hmm. as well always be paying attention to the curves that exist in the advantages Mm -hmm. of people willing to capitulate and Mm -hmm. bow down to corporate structures that we believe have truer, uh, tr- real value, because even the value of money, I would argue, is only seen from the idea of the consumption that the person you're giving money wants. So right. if a person only wants to buy a, uh, some Coney Island, you know, and this sounds crazy, you give them a million dollars or you give them ten dollars. If all they really wanted was ten dollars. Anything else in that million really wouldn't make a difference. They're going to put that same amount of effort into whatever they were going to do. Mm-hmm. So that's where the passion, the the intentionality, the 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 the, ethic, the purpose, the, the purpose, the spirit yeah. into whatever we do comes into play. Yeah. And that's why by labeling someone poor is already such a psychologically uh, demeaning and and, mm-hmm. and 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 destructive term. Mm hmm. For most people, because they're not identifying with this idea that this whole system needs to be redesigned. That's right. Right. The whole system needs to either be redesigned or completely destroyed. You know. Um, So one of the things that we're talking about with the campaign is also like the distorted moral narrative and this whole idea of like scarcity, right? Mm -hmm. So currently in the United States, our military budget is somewhere around seven hundred billion dollars. Seven hundred billion dollars. You know how many people we can feed with seven hundred billion dollars? Right. How many homes we can provide for people? How much education and uh, free mm-hmm. housing and also universal health care and access to university public education Good would actually jobs. be paying be public infrastructure Good exactly like mm-hmm. so. There's this narrative. Anytime you talk to a politician, anytime you speak to someone, 
about providing for the well uh, or creating structures for the well-being of the people mm-hmm. the question that always follows is like where are we going to get that money from oh my god so it's like 53 cents of every congressional Let's start with your salary yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> so 53 cents of every uh, uh congressional dollar goes to feed a war machine that right. is not only killing our people uh, in Syria, in Afghanistan, in Iraq, in the global south, uh, uh, in Detroit, but also in Detroit, man, like in yeah. our city in streets, York, man, our black got, and brown tanks, children are, are, yeah, our militarized police. Like I yeah. went, yeah, we talked about metal detectors, man, for four years when I was going to high school, uh, getting pat down and going through metal detectors was sort of what was natural for me. Right. And I never questioned that. I never questioned the fact that like I had NYPD in my hallways every single day. I didn't question that, right? Because there's this narrative that that we are where we're where we're supposed to be because that is sort of like the choices that we made, right? right. Like so I always say this idea is that if I always pose this questions to people is that if you didn't have to work 40 days a week to feed your family, you 40 40 hours a week to 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 feed your family, what would you be doing? Right. You probably That's wouldn't want to be in it. Yeah, exactly. It's meaningful work, right? Mm-hmm. You'll be doing some art. You'll probably want to be a writer. And the thing is that there is enough in this country. This is one of the wealthiest nations the world has ever seen. Yeah. One of the wealthiest nations the world has ever seen. Um, New York City has uh, the GDP of of pretty much most uh, developing countries in in, in wow. uh, across the country. I mean, across wow. the uh, across world. the world. Right, like we have enough to provide for everyone. Mm-hmm. We just our our moral agenda, our vision of what is this whole idea of like pulling ourselves by our own bootstraps. Most of these people don't even have shoes, man. Right, and we're asking them to pull themselves off their bootstraps. Like we have what we need to provide for people, and sometimes we forget that. And also, too, is linked to trauma, because mm-hmm. because uh, like uh, going back to the lady. Right. Um, I started asking her more questions about herself and her identity was wrapped up in the fact that she so-called was like this self-made person. And that's the so-called like American um, narrative is that I could do it myself. Yeah, I did it all myself. No one helped me. I pulled my own self up out of this thing and look at me. Right. And that is the biggest crock of bullshit ever. <laughs> but there's no such thing as there's no a such self-made thing. Made anything. Yes. But that's exactly. the American. That's I mean, the American that, narrative. They feed us. Let's, but they wait, feed us that wait. Crap. It has to be because mm-hmm. in the ethic of for the 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 for the middle aged white man to have any type of uh, to for them to disassociate themselves from reality, they have to feel that way. Because if they had to start looking at what I attribute my success to, right. then they would have to go into, this is stolen land. Mm-hmm. Right. This is stolen labor. Right. And then in reality, if we really want to get into the root of this, like I always say, um, you know, Great Britain fronted America everything. This whole right. Boston Tea Party wasn't over freedom without taxation. Great Britain was coming for what what America owed Great Britain. Right. And they felt like it was taxation without representation. So it they would have to go to this is stolen land, stolen money, stolen labor, stolen every goddamn thing. And these are really the the vandals and the vagrants from from the Britain. Thugs. From Britain <laughs> that couldn't <laughs> cut it over in Britain. So they really weren't good. Right. 
over there. So they came over here and they the was dejected. like, let's see what you could, let's see what you could, you know, make of yourself. It's right. like getting a trap house if you're in the game and in the streets <laughs> on the whole nother side of like, right. you know, down in Toledo or something. And mm-hmm. then it's like, well, you know, I'm going to take a liberal stand right now. I'm not going to pay you what I owe, you know? And, it, and, and at the time, Britain just looked at America like, it, you know, it's a shit show in the first place. It ain't even worth it. Right. So the, the, the science of this, if you have to really start attributing what this success is to and Mm -hmm. most of the wealth in this nation still is kind of back into those 13 colonies of uh, especially around Boston and Philadelphia and New York and many of those families you Mm -hmm. know that go back there you know I mean it's it's a joke you know it's yeah. a joke. So yeah. you have to say it was self-made because then you have to start admitting that like, oh, yeah, I, I a lot of the reason I have wealth is because I'm related to murderous thieves that were rapers and pillagers. <laughs> right. You know, and, and you and, and that's hard to do. So it's easier just to say, you know. I did this all myself. Yeah. I'm just yeah. so smart that all of this stuff happened. Well, then they, they teach that to us. Right. Mm-hmm. And so then that's where that whole thing is like, I did it. I got mine. You get yours mm-hmm. and pull yeah. yourself up by your bootstrap, like you were saying. What he, what your friend was saying, and it's like the disconnection is that what people, what, what, uh, at least the conversation I was having with her is that at the end of the day, you don't actually have any power. Like you have a job, so this whole so-called like self-made thing could end tomorrow if you lose your job. Because if I'm just like really being real about it, (laughs) to me, it's crazy that you have to explain that to someone living in Detroit where like 40% of the labor force were laid off in one year, and that basically destroys a city, right? Like, right, it's insane that you have to explain to someone in in the city of Detroit what sort of like what what that means the fact that like your livelihood is deeply tied to whether or not you can work. Or, or, the, or if you have this particular job, right? Because it's, it's the particular jobs that people start developing these uh, these identities around because mm-hmm. she's not a janitor or um, a nanny. Like, she actually, you know, is like a so-called decision maker in the city. And, ha- and, and her job, if you will, is to actually make decisions that impact people. So if you really in think about mind. how scary her, that in is, her mind. And well, in reality, I mean, in the in the land of like what the job description in is, reality, you know what I'm she's probably doing what a lot of black people in reality, in she's do. shopping she's every what, Saturday. She's doing what she's told. <laughs> <laughs> she's doing yeah. what she is told. In to reality, do. she shows up to work, reads the memo. That's right. And just Sends get her emails, check. Type some stuff By two up. o'clock, she's trying to figure out where the you drinks know, at. And, 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 her, and then, her, but, you know, Seriously speaking, something that I always say is we we have yet to be a great nation. Mm. We have what it takes. Shots fired. To be great. Right. And I'm not talking about make America great again, that shit, Trump, <laughs> fuck that. I'm talking about we have the technology, we have the money, we have the people to make this nation a great one to live in. Mm. And it's not going to come from the top. It's going right. to take actual democracy, and that requires citizens to literally stand up and say like i don't like this we want this instead and that can't democracy cannot happen without the citizens democracy cannot happen without the people we don't have that right now can you help us understand that too because um especially in detroit or just in in so-called urban centers in america in general that whole spirit of like standing up and even understanding what democracy is or rights or any of that that was that was basically quelt that was basically mm-hmm. squelched 
you know, um, for, I, I'm, I'm going to say like basically maybe from the 70s on. And mm-hmm. so like where and how would, I mean, this there's a new generation, if you will, like let's call it maybe 2012, right? That from and forward, that's been, we've seen it in the demonstrations and we've seen it in the protests and we've seen all that. But like now we're seeing it start to die down like a little mm-hmm. bit more mm-hmm. again. And so where does that understanding, first of all, of like the power that we have, like where does that actually come from? How can we actually teach people that if like, like where can they get that from? Where can they get that message from or how can they learn about that? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I go directly back to history, you know, mm-hmm. like seeing the tactics that Dr. King used, that Malcolm X used, that the Brown Berets used, seeing how they use their bodies and put them on the line because um, pers- personal perspective, to be honest, we're not going, we haven't been going down a good road in a long time, but even more so now. Mm-hmm. And so there's a sense of people have to become unafraid and you have to regain that hope. We're trying mm-hmm. to organize the hope of people because mm. a lot of times i'm here like well you know that's just the way things are now well you know like mm. you can't really change well you know well you know what we're definitely not going to do nothing if we sit around mm-hmm. but we might do something if we all stand up and get organized mm-hmm. and so i think taking a look at history real history mm-hmm. to see the actual tactics that are being used and in this day and age we have to use a multi-level attack it can't just be we can't just be on the streets mm-hmm. and doing direct actions of disobedience we have to try and get in the courtrooms we have to try and do it the legal ways we got to hit them in the pockets we got to do economic boycotts all these different things to be able to really start hurting those who are hurting us Mm. in the ways that matter and to do that requires a lot of organization and collaboration Mm -hmm. and that's part of what we're trying to do this campaign and it's not easy because when you're trying to organize you know people from doing race work people doing water work people doing immigration work people doing prison work people doing um you know farm justice work people doing uh education work all together in the room Mm -hmm. the first question that often comes up is like well if we're letting all these folks join the campaign with all these different issues, how is mine going to get hurt? Mm. What about me? Mm. And so I'm always like, well, if that's your concern, your analysis isn't deep enough. Mm. Because if you come and look at where the paper trail is, if you come and look, where is all this coming from? It comes all the way down. It comes all the way down to a systemic root problem. Right. And if we can all see where our problem is connected, we can all start attacking at the same point. Right. Yeah, to me, um, to me, it has a lot to do with like spirit, man. Like, it it's crazy. Like yesterday, I was arrested um, in Lansing, and as a person of color, as a part of this uh, protest, as a part of the campaign, as mm-hmm. part of the protest and shutting down MDEQ. I didn't want people to think you <laughs> yeah, stole no, some chips. No, 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 <laughs> no. Yeah, it was a non-violent action. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thank you for clearing that up. About to incriminate myself and stuff. <laughs> that Spanish Harlem knew it. Knew so it. the fact to me, I was reflecting on that this morning, right? And I was like, my entire life I've been working to stay out of jail. Right. That sort of have been my goal, right? The right. fact that up to this day I don't have uh, a rap sheet or any felony charges, mm. so it's an accomplishment for a man of color in the United States, right? Mm-hmm. And the fact that I put my body on the line and allowed a white officer from Lansing State Police to put his hands on me <sighs> and take me in chains, essentially, oh and and basically risk my body, to me, there had to be something greater than myself at mm. that particular moment, right? And when I think about that is that 
I do this not only for the multiple generations that will come after me, but I also do this for my ancestors, right? Like yeah. that is like fighting is the way that I pay homage to the indigenous roots and the indigenous blood that runs through my body. Mm. Like this phenotype that you see, this indigenous man sitting in this chair, it's only possible because my indigenous ancestors fought against colonizers mm. in in Latin America, fought mm -hmm. against the Spaniards, right? Mm -hmm. So I think fighting and the spirit in that is what keeps me moving, right? And now that we're throwing some shots at people, let me... move. You know, like, yeah, back to that lady and that story, I think yeah. what's, what's really important is that is that that she said um i used to help poor people right yeah yeah so i i go into a lot of activist spaces and i meet a lot of people who are activists or quote-unquote social justice warriors and essentially that to me is like charity activism right i want mm -hmm. people to join the campaign because they want to save their ass mm -hmm. that's essentially what i want why i want people to join the campaign not because they're doing it for themselves not because they're doing it for anybody else because they're trying to save poor people because they're trying to save black people because right. they're trying to shit shit uh save, save um young uh, brown people, people young people, people detroit people it's like no man like you need to come and join this campaign because you need to save your ass Right. right at any moment you can lose your job at mm -hmm. any moment you can fall ill and you will be poor right yeah. there's a uh the the um the homeless union came up with a slogan a couple of years ago that that basically said uh one paycheck away from being homeless right right and that's that's the reality for a lot of us man mm -hmm. you know like an accident a fall uh, you know just just falling on hard times that could mean whether or not you live or not right yeah so i want i want this whole idea of like uh charity activism to go away mm -hmm. i want it, this idea of it, scarcity it, yeah. to go away. it's charity versus self-determination exactly I, I, and i do think that and this is where i, I guess the uncle tom is in me i think different people <laughs> Uncle Tom and me. That's what up, I should make that a <laughs> make that a shirt. I got I got bougie tendencies too, man. Trust Tom me. and me. <laughs> One of my favorite characters. On, Let it uh, out, Kari. Let, Let it out. Exactly a Tom moment. <laughs> I think different people come in at different points of the fight. That's right. And mm -hmm. different people play different roles. And mm -hmm. through looking at someone else's courage, uh, the collective thought that it takes to even understand that if poverty exists in one, then it exists in all the, the right. whole injustice anywhere is injustice everywhere like right. that that thought process to the the individualism and the selfishness that is involved with the concept of i made it you didn't or you didn't follow these rules and you don't have it to to move with that same character of understanding that the 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 less than quality of life around me impacts my quality of life right. because you're either going to pay for more security. You're going to eventually try to like certain things you just can't pay for. It's certain things that are mm -hmm. just abundant in riches and wealth that you can't quantify the amount of money. But let's say you have a lot of money. Now you got to pay for a lot of security. The, the interactions you have with people are so false and in facade because these people are interacting with you with the expectation expecting nature of you giving them some money mm -hmm. so their their tap dancing show is based on that the sincerity that it takes to have authentic relationships mm -hmm. uh, 
that we can share amongst human beings deals with the fact that we don't have the scarcity of the only thing that you can value us with is the exchange of cash. Mm. We need to know that the values of true people is in the character we have, the integrity you have, the journey we have, who we are as a person to just know like, damn, you know, this person is dope without thinking to themselves like, all right, that person knows that person. And then that person can hook me up with that person. Then I get the bag. And then when I get the bag, then I can do blah, 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 blah. We, we can, I can have get the, I can get the white girl. beyond that. Yeah. When I, once I get the bag, I can get the white girl. Yeah, I can get I can play, play in the snow, as they say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where you, I'm from. You know what? It, what I'm thinking about is the connection between um, the war on drugs and the war on poverty. And the connection that the crack, um, you know, what should we call it? The targeted crack attack that happened Crack to our attack. communities you know what i'm saying um and 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 how that how that literally you know t- tore through like i always talk about you know life before crack and life after crack but literally you can see where that tore through our communities and i can totally see well even during the heroin you know even during the heroin era if you will where um there became a lack of trust between generations right because you have these young people that are making this money and then you have the older people that are doing what things that they you know feel they need to do in order to be able to afford this this drug and then you have a a a, a, you know this this increased like lack of respect right because it's like continuing to see these people that you looked up to you know succumbing to like this 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 terrible thing right and so you had that for like what at least 10 15 years right of that happening to be to where it became like a generation right or two and then it became like a a normalcy or became a normality to where um we just see how this this destructive uh thing that was done to our community how this this crack that was put in you know by the cia intentionally in our communities like literally tore through the fabric of our community of these relationships um that we had i'm not necessarily blaming it solely on crack it's a lot of other factors but i'm just looking at the impact that crack even you know what i'm saying that that whole crack era had let's 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 dissect that a little bit more yeah um The proliferation of the crack era was also during the demise of uh, the where a lot of money still existed and cash flow existed in the uh, black and brown community of the number man. The number man served as a role as a role. The street lotto, the street numbers, the street numbers existed before the lottery became legal. And throughout the nation, they said that, you know, with this money and this fund, it'll help education. In reality, it just took a, a street business. And mm-hmm. turned it into an yeah. above ground business, but a, a, a government yeah. sanctioned business. But if you look at most uh, black entrepreneurs and brown entrepreneurs, and even Italian entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. the the way that uh, the lending that was involved in uh, right. street numbers, um, and so you 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 cause a downtick in in street money connected to one thing, mm-hmm. and you have an uptick is street money connected to something else and mm-hmm. it's a different it, it shifted a lot of different things I, I really do think that the um the transitioning that was involved in the attack of uh, what happened with street numbers 
And if that was still an illegal, as they say, black market profession, mm -hmm. you would have a lot of lending still existing, which was the lending circle right. of many of our communities right. as many black newspapers, many, uh, many uh, black churches, many black right. restaurants, many black nightclubs, many black organizations all mm -hmm. started with funding straight from right. numbers people. Right. Mm -hmm. And 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 I guess I'm bringing up that that um that drug uh connection because not only did it tear up the relationship or the 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 structure of the familial relationship but it also created longer term implications through, you know, um through negative health impacts through um you know and and negative health impacts that impacted the next Generational generations trauma. you know mm -hmm. um moving forward and so I, i'm i'm bringing that up to say that um and i'm gonna connect it back to the lady again because i'm using her because she's that lady i do because <laughs> she's a representation of of she's a she's a real life representation of this you know of some, what of you some were talking strange, about of some mm -hmm. strains of thought into this of some strange, yeah and it's good you all do the work and then over time she'll see how sincere and genuine what you all do is real yeah and she'll see the people that she's associating with right are not of that right. same substantive value right and so like i could i could totally see you know um or understand that we all have people who you know on the one hand because this thing tore through our communities and tore up our relationships it kind of forced people to see people in a different light so it was like i don't respect grandma because grandma comes over here and, and gives my homeboy a blowjob and i mean this is real stuff too people all of us mm -hmm. know have family members know through the mm -hmm. so so grandma comes to give my friend who's 15 to 18, a blowjob, right? To get this thing is dehumanizing, it's embarrassing. I have no respect for grandma mm. now. And, you know, I'm 15, 16, 17, I'm the breadwinner, I do what I want. So I don't have to respect grandma anymore. And and imagine being that young person or related to any, it, or related to any of those people mm -hmm. and then not having respect for grandma anymore or grandma come in or uncle or whoever keep stealing the TV, keep promising things, sell babies, like all the atrocious things that happened during the crack era, the, the atrocious things that people did, the atrocious things that young people had to live through, um, the atrocious things that people saw as children now, mm -hmm. right? For, for 10, 15 years or whatever. And, and, and that level of destruction that happened in the community would create a personality right that would say i don't trust mm. these people so i've got to do what i've got to do to remove myself from what i'm seeing around me because i don't want to be like any of this right here mm. you know what i'm saying and, I'm, and it's not as a justification but i'm saying mm -hmm. i could understand how that per type of personality could emerge mm -hmm. or does emerge because then it becomes right. yeah my success right. is not tied to where i'm mm -hmm. from right and and we say that in a way that that's that's more empowering but when mm -hmm. a flip that means that if i don't want to see myself as being a part of anything around me that means that i don't respect any of, the, of this around mm -hmm. me so none of this around me is respectable none of it deserves any form of love support encouragement or whatever and if it does then that's the government's job to go mm -hmm. deal with that through the right. militarized police system or 
whatever systems in place to like mm-hmm. take care of quote unquote those people and i'm gonna worry about getting rich and doing me because that's something that i can control and something i can do and i can get my education i can come up and then i can get away from all of this and i'm gonna get away from all your niggas like that's the mentality you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. that creates that type of yeah. personality so what's important about the work that you guys are doing is this helping to bring back the humanity like hey look this is a different way of looking at the, the 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 situation it yes that traumatic crap happened or whatever it is right like that's a specific scenario but just fill in the blank with another mm-hmm. scenario that is that is the on the ground trauma like that's how that looks but let's zoom out of all of that and let's look at it more as a systemic issue and what are the systemic issues that we keep seeing and that's where you mm-hmm. guys are coming up with these like four sort of buckets that things go into which leads to like these demands and these strategies and these this and these that because it is such a multi-faceted multi-tiered situation it takes a multi-faceted multi-tiered solution or solutions and people Mm -hmm. and collaborations Mm -hmm. and so yeah so i also just real quick i wanted to say because you you said you know that not that i agree with her but just uh, for everyone listening just because you understand something doesn't mean you justify it or agree with it no no no. you know and i think that's something people don't get sometimes that i can understand how this person here is racist and a bigot right right but that doesn't mean that i'm justifying and agree is no no no, and i think you know sometimes people conflate the two oh you understand well then you know you must agree and that's you know that's an important distinction Thanks mm-hmm. for that. Yeah. Yeah. So like with the campaign, I hope that to me, this is also a healing process. Right. And you, you mm-hmm. mentioned on healing a little bit. So as we're organizing, we hear a lot of stories, right? Mm-hmm. Not only of like horrible stories on how people have been dealing with poverty, but we also hear really, really sort of like negative things towards us. People curse at us. People push us out of the way. Really? We had someone yesterday, a lady basically pulled the shawl of a rabbi over his head and basically pushed him out of the way what? as she was getting out of the building. Um, so as I'm organizing and I'm talking to people, I, I'm not only listening to what they're saying, I'm also listening to what they're saying. There's so many people around this country who are hurting, right? Mm. So when people yell at me and says like, why don't you get a job, <laughs> right? And and they start talking about, they start talking about um, basically um, how they need to work. Essentially, what they're saying to me is that I don't like my job. Mm. I have a bad life. I'm also struggling, and y'all are inconveniencing me. So, listening to what to what uh, people are not are not saying, um, but also at the same time, like we've been using arts and culture a lot to sort of like bridge that gap between the youth and uh, and the elders, right? Mm. Um, so, we had a meeting a, a few months ago, and basically, someone said to us. Why are you singing these old church songs? Black people don't go to church anymore. Mm. Right? And I sat on that for a little bit. And I I don't know. It, it landed on me uh, in a bad way. Right? And I just couldn't <laughs> explain. I couldn't explain why. Like, why that, that affected me so much. And then, uh, uh, fast forward a couple of days later, I am in a room with Yara Allen, who she is the, the, the theomusicologist for the campaign. And basically, she t- she's talking about these songs like, oh, we shall, we shall not be moved. Mm-hmm. And she's basically telling us that these songs are dressed, are, are drenched in the blood of people that came before us, right? Mm. These songs are from the civil rights movement. These songs are the only way that we can reach back to the elders and remind them that we haven't forgotten mm. where they're coming from. We haven't forgotten and, and all the work that they have put up 
to this point has not been in vain because mm. there are younger folks picking up the baton and moving right. with it, right? Right. And in hopes, like, we've we've had these songs and we've remixed it. Right. In a way that is relevant to, to younger folks. Right. Like, we right. had D15 up there with us a couple of weeks ago in Lansing and they had drums. They were going all out and they added that youth component to the arts and culture piece mm-hmm. of these songs. So, like, I think this understanding that, that the struggle is continuous mm-hmm. and it's ongoing and we must always pick up where people left off. Right. And right. we're hoping to do that with this campaign. So just two quick things before we go. Um, one, speaking of um, picking up where people left off, um, do you guys uh, do your work out of the General Baker Center, right? Or no, or are you, you're connected to the General Baker Center. Yeah, mm-hmm. so like I said, um, General Baker is a huge inspiration. We've been working closely with his daughter, uh, Carolyn Baker, and also Shout with, out. yep, and also pretty much with his whole family. Like his his whole family has basically adopted us. Val mm-hmm. Baker, <laughs> Miriam Kramer, uh, Crystal, like they've become part of our family. Um, and yeah, like we've, we've been working closely with the General Baker Institute and uh, the hope is to, um, once they get their space situated, we can use that space to not only continue organizing for the Poor People's Campaign, but also use that as a space where we can talk about political education to explain to folks actually what systemic racism looks like, mm-hmm. what systemic poverty looks like, what is ecological devastation, and really dissect not yeah, only... Not just what it looks like, but really think about how it functions. Because we know exactly. what it looks like. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're right. Mm-hmm. We walk mm-hmm. out on the street, we know what it looks like. It's right. about really be, being able to break down like how did, how did this system come to be Mm-hmm. And how does it function, and what are its weak points? And because that's part of the political strate- education yes. you guys do, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's really important that you guys are doing the political education. Um, a lot of the movements that we have here in Detroit, the more recent movements, um, are a lot around mobilization. But I but I love the fact that you guys are doing like actual like political education because that's where we're actually going to grow leadership and grow leaders and not just people that are mm-hmm. passionate although we need passionate people we need passionate informed leaders too i just want to say on that uh, this has been in my mind since like five minutes ago the difference between an activist and an organizer right, right? because those impassioned folks that show up to protest you are an activist right right but the organizer is a is a chess player the right. organizer is the one that's figuring out where should I put this person? Where is right. the best? How do I how do I take these person's strengths right. and and use them in a way that's gonna be positive for the movement? Right. And it is our goal as organizers to move these to move folks around and help them be interwoven into this movement. Right. right. And so, like, organizer is always an activist, but an activist isn't, isn't always an organizer. This and is true. It's not one above the other. Both are important. Yeah. We need those folks being passionate up there, but we are at a point where we need to build our leadership up so yeah. we can continue the work for many more generations. So, yeah, so thanks for that. Um, we're going to have to have everybody from the Baker Institute up here again just to, like, tell us about the Baker Institute and General Baker. Shouts out. Thank you so much, General Baker, for everything that you've done, RIP. Um, and we, we're, like, running out of time. We could do a whole other hour, but <laughs> we'll, we'll save that for another for another show. Um, and so, yeah, so we're going to get ready to get out of here. But one thing I want to do is um, definitely – want people to understand how can people support what you're doing how can they get involved and you know like what's the process so let's say someone um is like that sounds really interesting and 
I would like to help. What are the different points at which they could either dig in and do some work or, or if they don't have time and are just unable to like do the work, um, can like support. Yeah. First step, visit our Facebook page is Michigan poor people's campaign, a national call for moral revival. That is the first step just to get connected. So people are informed. What are the events that are happening? Um, also, uh, getting news of what exactly happened in Lansing that week and what's happening. Um, also, come out to Lansing every Monday. We're there at 2 p.m. at the state capitol um, for an hour rally. And then after that, we're doing civil disobedience from 3 to 4. Uh, so please show up. And also, once we start seeing people coming in, uh, there's different coordinating committees and different uh, committees that are, have been formed. There's an arts and culture committee. There's a youth and millennial committee. There's uh, various other committees that people can do and plug in in very intentional ways. Mm-hmm. And then what's the, uh, are you guys on uh, Instagram at all? Mm-hmm. Yep. You know uh, the Instagram? Michigan Poor People's Campaign. Okay. We also have a website, the Michigan website, um, michiganppc.org. Okay. Hold on, let me think on this. Hold on, because I think I have it. Yes, michiganppc, <laughs> I think it's .com. I'm not sure. Yeah, we also have it. a... It's, it's kind of new, so we're still... Mm-hmm. We also have a Twitter handle, MIPPC. Uh, so definitely check us out. Our Facebook is uh, the page that is most active and it's also the easiest it's way to org. get informed. MichiganPPC.org. Um, org. And basically on the website, I'm looking at it um, right now. Um, it's, 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 it's updated. It's up to date. Um, so, yeah, everything is on here mm-hmm. that you would need to know. Um, in terms of like getting involved and everything like that. Also signing a pledge card. Mm. Um, you can go on the national uh, website, Michigan, I mean, not Michigan, poorpeoplescampaign.org, mm-hmm. and you can go on there and sign a pledge card, and that information will be sent to our database. And so we'll have your email and your information and how you want to get involved, and you'll be able to receive emails from our from the state um, and stay informed that way as well. And mm. our email is also michigan at poorpeoplescampaign.org. And then what do you want um, people to take away from the things that you've learned so far? Or what, would you, what do you want to share with people that you've learned so far as, as, you know, as you've been doing this work? Anything in particular? Oh, you're talking to me in particular? Yeah, bo- both of you, but yeah. Man, I mean, um, that we have, we have a lot more to gain than to lose. Mm. Um, that every single one of us has a role to play in movement work. Mm. And the more people are doing the work, the less heavy it feels, mm. um, that the spirit is always with us and that we can use that to empower us and to empower each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and also that it's okay to make people uncomfortable during a protest, mm. that um, civil disobedience and protesting is an important way to get our voices heard when it's organized and the message is clear, it can be very effective. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? D- you're not alone. Mm. You are not alone. There are thousands and millions of people struggling every day just the way we all are struggling. Mm-hmm. And we need to share our stories because that's what we have. We have our stories. And when we share our stories and we realize, oh, that's happened to you there, and that's happened to you over there in California and in Kentucky and Illinois and mm-hmm. Ohio, mm-hmm. hold up. Then we can start seeing that, okay, this is not just me. This is something that's happening to all of us. 
and it's not from our choices it's because of a system and that's how we can start really empowering ourselves and each other to say, to speak up and speak out and fight back mm-hmm. how about you any yeah. lessons you want to share lessons um i think the power of the campaign has been being able to bring people who otherwise mm-hmm. wasn't an activist wasn't an organizer and basically was just moved by the message and now mm. is organizing. So like I met this woman down uh, in Nashville um, and I am working with her. She's one of the organizers uh, down in Ohio. And I remember speaking to her and uh, uh, her orders were, you need to go back to Ohio and organize the state. And she looked at me terrified, mm. you know, completely overwhelmed. And she was about to cry. And then with, uh, uh, sort of like a shaky voice, she replies, I am not an organizer. Mm, and, the first today. Week, and the first week, the opening week <laughs> of the campaign, mm-hmm. the 40 days of action, she was leading uh, a group of almost 200 people. Wow. So she was a leader. Yeah. So like yeah. that, that to me has been the greatest lesson in this campaign is that people that speak well, aren't always good leaders and people mm. that are good leaders aren't good always good speakers mm. and there's leadership in all of us right mm-hmm. there's power in every single one of us and we all have a gift and a skill to give um and i guess another uh lesson that i've learned and this is a quote from uh, uh the welfare rights organization is that we are we only get what we are organized to take mm. i like let's end on that yeah. Yeah, like <laughs> I like that a lot. We only get what we're organized to take. That's kind of scary, but that's a good challenge right there. Yeah, let's let's get organized. Come on, we mm-hmm. let's get organized and get healthcare. Let's get organized and get affordable housing. Mm-hmm. Let's get organized and get a living, living wages. Wage. Right. Yeah. A healthy, affordable water. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Clean, and better water. schools better in the city school. of Detroit. And a healthy environment. We can have. We can we have can all have those it. things. We, we can. can have them all. We can. That's what's up. So, um. Yesenia, Carlos, thank you so much for taking the time to like come, hang out, share with us, kick it, you know, um, share about yourselves, you know, <laughs> appreciate that. Um, so yeah, this is um, Piper Carter podcast on Detroit is different. Kari has, uh, he's a CEO around here, so he had to go do some CEOing. So uh, <laughs> he had to step away from the booth for a minute, but um, yeah, just want to shout you out too, Kari. So. Uh, Shouts out to uh, everyone from Welfare Rights and uh, everyone from the General Baker Institute, um, everyone from the Poor People's Campaign, and uh, shouts out to everybody from Detroit and uh, everywhere. So we love you. Piper Carter Podcast. Peace. Peace, y'all. Peace. Tune in weekly to the Piper Carter podcast with Piper Carter for a conscious take on music, arts, politics, and fashion. The founder of We Found Hip Hop has a say on what you should know about culture with a balanced conscience. Subscribe on Apple iTunes or Google Play to the Piper Carter podcast to hear the stories and thoughts of Piper Carter. Follow Piper Carter on Instagram at Piper Carter.